It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for joining us. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the news and then highlight the stupid because, of course, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to phone a friend, this time somebody who is actually a friend, somebody I spent some time with in the United States Congress. He's the congressman from Georgia's first congressional district. His name is Buddy Carter, and you ought to get to know him because he does something in Congress nobody else has a background in, so he offers a unique perspective, and he's just an all-around good guy. You know, you go out and you serve with people, and you see him at the meals and at the conference meetings and in committee, and you kind of get to know somebody, and this is a really good guy. His name is Buddy Carter, the congressman from Georgia. So we'll dial him up, too, but let's jump right into what's going on in the news, because obviously... a big portion of what's going to happen here for the next few months is going to be the selection of the Supreme Court nominee. Now, look, this is a historic one. They're always historic. A Supreme Court, just not many of them, not much turnover. And the justice who's retiring, Justice Breyer, he served there for decades and had an impact on the court and has a unique voice on the court and been a liberal voice. Now, obviously, President Biden is going to select somebody who's going to give credence to that liberal voice. I wouldn't expect anything less of what the president's going to do. And with the Democrats having the Senate, they've got a clear guide glide path. If they can keep everybody in line in being supportive of this particular nominee, but whoever that might be, but uh, getting there, I, I feel bad for whoever's selected because I think it's minimized a little bit where qualifications and their thoughts and their thought process seems to get a backseat to making sure that they were had the right gender identity and the right politics behind them. And I don't think that's a good way to start somebody who's going to be a nominee to the Supreme Court. I just don't. I just think saying that you're going to pick somebody of a certain ethnicity or a certain race or a certain gender sort of negates the overarching need to have the best qualified person to sit in that seat. And obviously, it's still the judgment of the President of the United States to make that nomination. But under advice and consent of the United States Senate, they don't have to go along with it. They have a co-equal voice in this. Now, I think a lot of the senators probably disagree with that. I've seen a number of Republicans who I just vehemently disagree with on advice and consent. It is not the default position that you should and have to support the president's nominee. That's not the way the framers set this up. The framers set this up so they would have a co-equal voice in who actually gets to go there. Now, the president gets to whittle it down to one and nominate one, and then they have the debate and the discussion. But uh, no doubt they are working furiously behind the scenes to vet whoever pers- whatever person's going to come up. There will inevitably be some degree of a surprise. But I want them to be treated honestly and fairly and 
talk about their record and their thoughts and how they make decisions and what precedent and their view on precedent is. But I think it's sad that Joe Biden had to gravitate immediately to making sure that it had to be somebody who fit a certain demographic profile in order for him to continue to garner support rather than picking the very best person. So I've kind of made my point on that, but the Supreme Court selection by POTUS is going to be pivotal and it'll be fascinating to see who he comes up with and why he picks that person. He's already told us kind of why. Let's see. Let's hope that he gets somebody who's highly qualified. All right. The other thing I want to talk about in the news is a great quote from Elon Musk. Elon Musk, obviously an impact player, a multi-billionaire, and somebody who's had quite an impact on our world, not just with SpaceX and PayPal and those types of things, but with Tesla as well. And he tends to get himself into trouble on Twitter. He tends to do some things that are a little bit controversial. So he took it a little bit easier. And he sent out this tweet that said, quote, taking a break from politics for a while. Here's a nice photo of trucks. Now, this is one of my favorite tweets that he sent out because it wasn't just a photo of trucks. This was up in Canada, the convoy of trucks. Now, if you haven't seen this, the whole country seems to be driving a truck because these truckers are out there in force talking and making an expression of their displeasure on Justin Trudeau, the prime minister's uh, approach to how they are actually doing the mask mandates. And so what does Trudeau do in true weak fashion? Scoots out of town, avoids the whole thing. I'm glad that Elon Musk and the rest of the United States is paying attention because it's not just us. There are other places around the world that are fed up with these mask mandates and how they're executed and why they're executed. Look, I understand we, that COVID is real. It is serious. I, I personally have taken the vaccine, the booster shot, all of that. But there is this degree of self-determination in this, this country. And I think Canadians are doing it, doing it justice too and, and expressing their displeasure on how this is going out. But boy, if you see those pictures of trucks and I love Elon Musk's tweet, taking a break from politics for a while. Here's a nice photo of trucks. <laughs> What a snarky way to do it, because that's about as political as it gets and and uh, kind of a cute, fun way to, to do it, as Elon Musk does from time to time. All right. Time to bring on the stupid, because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. This time we have two. We have two that are coming up. An MSNBC tweet, they captured it like, uh, I mean, they put this tweet up, then they took it down. Then they put it back up with a link to try to say, well, this is what somebody else was saying. I don't know who's running the Twitter account over there, but they kind of stepped in it. Quote, conservatives don't mind affirmative action hires so long as the people hired fit their preferred demographic, end quote. Um, are you kidding me? This, <laughs> that is just so stupid of them to do that. Again, they posted it, took it down, put up another link and... Uh, uh, what are they talking about? Come on. That it, it should be self-explanatory. If you don't understand that one, we need, we might we might need to talk. But that was just a really really stupid tweet. All right, the next one is uh, from Ira Glasser of the ACLU. Now, Ira Glasser did not did not make the stupid comments. 
He's pointing out the stupid of an organization he used to run, which is the American Civil Liberties Union. Now, like him or not, the ACLU has vehemently defended civil liberties on the most difficult of cases. Some people you just absolutely despise and they're out there defending them. But a couple years ago, they decided to morph and transition. I really saw it during the Obama years. It got amplified during the Trump years. And now they've taken a political position that is just untenable. In fact, they got so bad there at the ACLU that the retired Ira Glasser, who's no longer there, he had this great quote. He was on Real Time with Bill Maher, and he said, quote, They just produced a couple of years ago new guidelines for their lawyers to use when deciding what free speech cases to take. This is a requirement now for the national ACLU employers that before they take a case defending someone's free speech, they have to make sure that the speech doesn't offend or threaten other civil liberty values. The whole point, the reason this falls into the category of stupid is Ira Glasser is 100% right. The point of of somebody protecting free speech is to protect it even if you don't like it. That protects free speech. The whole point of the First Amendment is people in this country have the right to say things that maybe you don't like. Now, there's certain boundaries to that. You can't go into the theater and yell fire, okay? Those types of things obviously are going to cause panic and potentially death like that. Okay, we understand that. There are some boundaries. But for the ACLU to say, we're only going to take the cases that protect our political prerogatives, which is essentially what they're going to do, undermines the whole idea that the ACLU is out there to protect free speech no matter what. And I'm glad to hear Ira Glasser going out and speaking on this. He was a big voice in this country for a long time on a lot of controversial issues. It really made you think along the way. But the ACLU of today has changed. It's morphed. It's a money-making operation that, in my opinion, is out there to try to move a political movement forward. It's no longer those that are out there fighting for your civil liberties. They actually even took a position that You must get the shots. You must get the vaccines because that protects your civil liberties. Are you kidding me? That's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. The government poking you and injecting something into you forcibly is a position that they support. That's not free speech. That's not allowing self-determination. I think it leads to a bigger point. This is what I, 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 without getting too deep on this, because we're talking about the stupid, liberals, where are they? They've kind of gone away. This idea that, hey, we get to make choices, that wing of the part of the Democratic Party has gone away. Anyway, thanks to the assist by Ira Glasser and pointing out the stupid from the ACLU. All right, now it's time to call a phone and friend, uh, Buddy Carter. Like I said, I served with him in the United States Congress. The guy works hard. He works smart. He's just an all-around good guy, and I hope that we get to know him a little bit better. So let's dial up Congressman Buddy Carter. Hey, it's Buddy Carter. Hey, it's Jason Chaffetz. Hey, thanks so much for agreeing to join me on the Jason in the House podcast. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. 
You and I got to know each other because uh, suddenly you got elected to Congress and, and I was in Congress. And then next thing I knew, you were on the oversight committee. And next thing I knew, you were chairing that committee. <laughs> <laughs> I know the world was falling apart at that point in time. I, I, uh, that was a lot of fun. You know what? I really, you know, I appreciate the energy you brought to it. And it is amazing, wasn't it? Where the people that came before that committee, I, I, I mean, some were good, serious people, and I really learned a lot. And others were, others were just bozos. I just, I just could not figure out how in the world they got into those positions and did did some of the things they did. Exactly, you're right. Um, it, it does take all types. I, I think back about Farmer Bro and having him before us, and uh, you know he wouldn't he wouldn't talk. And, and I have to tell you a quick story. I, I'll never forget um, your friend and my friend Trey Gowdy. Uh, tricked him into finally answering something because he pronounced his last name and he said, is that correct? And he said, yes, that is correct. And he said, well, see, you can answer questions. You don't (laughs) just have to take the fifth on everything. And I thought, well, there's an experienced litigator, uh, an experienced lawyer. You know, I'm a pharmacist, as you know, so I I didn't know to do something like that. But I just always thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. So uh, Buddy Carter is the only, was the only pharmacist. I think that's still true today, right? In the, both the house well, and the Senate. Actually that has changed. We've got another pharmacist in Congress now. We've got a much bigger pharmacist in Congress. Yeah, we did. <laughs> um, but if, if I could just share this with you real quick, our mutual friend, uh, Representative Billy Long from Missouri, when I was the only pharmacist in Congress, he gave me the hashtag OPIC for only pharmacists in Congress. And then <laughs> Diana Harshbarger from Tennessee came in and and she's a compounding pharmacist. And Billy told me, he said, you know, you can still keep that hashtag, only now it means oldest pharmacist in Congress. So anyway, <laughs> so it goes. You have to know Billy Long. In fact, we should probably have him on a podcast because th- there's only one Billy Long. But um, go. let's go back to the Pharma Bro. So this is the guy who audaciously bought this kind of orphan drug or not an orphan drug, but he bought a, it had a small distribution that served a small population. And then he just jacked up the price. I think it was like $17 a dose. And then he jacked it up by like nearly to $500 a dose. I'm getting the numbers wrong, but it was something obscene like that. And he was making a ridiculous amount of money because it's very difficult for competition to come in on a drug that had such small distribution. And he was just arrogant about it. So we finally got him before the committee and he kept pleading the fifth in front of us. Yeah, he did. Martin Scarelli was his name and he's uh, he's in jail now where he needs to be. You know, as a pharmacist, this really hit home with me because um, we we have struggled for many years in this country because of high drug prices. And here was someone who was just just gaming the system. And you have to keep in mind this medication that um, that he he bought and the, the company that he bought that manufactured this medication was something that only very few people need. And, and therefore, it was impacting a select group of people. And and it, it was just ridiculous the way he went up on the price. And that's the only reason he bought the company. And so he could do just this. I mean, it was it was truly a scheme a scheme to to make money and, and nothing else but to make money. Yeah, it, it's kind of it, it, people, if they didn't take this particular drug, yeah, essentially you're going to die. So the demand is just off the charts, but s- so small that, a, you know, a, a reputable company like a Pfizer or something like that wasn't going to go purchase it. 
And uh, it was a good discussion. You know, that's the kind of thing I think the Oversight Committee was there to do. But when you ran for Congress and you thought about, what am I going to do once I get there? So you have the victory night, you win. Did you think that's what you were going to be doing? Or what was the what was the driving thing that you thought you would be doing versus what you're kind of doing in Congress? Well, specifically, pharmacy issues were important and pharmacy price. Um, the price of pharmaceuticals were certainly right. one of the top items on my list. So, so from that perspective, yes. But, you know, more so than anything, uh, Jason, this was my opportunity to serve my com- my country. I I didn't have the honor of serving in our military. And my honor is to serve those who, who do serve in our military and who have served in our military. And I take this very seriously, as you know. I take this service in Congress very seriously. And I work very hard at it. And it's because, you know, look, I've lived the American dream. Uh, I, I truly have. My my grandfather was a was a sharecropper. He did not own property. He didn't own land. He worked the land. I can remember my father taking me down a dirt road uh, where he grew up saying, you know, we used to live here, we used to live here, we used to live there. And, and they just live wherever the land was that they worked. And my dad worked shift work in a paper mill. And I can remember he moved from the country to the city. And he told me when he got a job at, at Union Bank that he took every penny he had in his pocket and he went and bought and filled his, his car up with gas. And he just rode around with the window down, just hollering, I got a job at Union Bank. I got a job at Union Bank. He was so proud to have a job like that. And I was the first one in my family to graduate from college, not only in my immediate family, but my extended family. You know, I, I was able to get a degree in pharmacy. I, I built a business, a successful business. I've lived the American dream. I really have. And I wanted to, I want my children and my grandchildren and their children to have that same opportunity to live the American dream. And that's why, that's why I do this. And as you know, also, well, look, it's, it, it's trying at times. I mean, it, it can be very, very frustrating. And there are times when you just shake your head and you say, what, what am I doing here? But I have to tell you that the, the shine hasn't worn off for me. I'm excited every time I come back up here. Every time it, today I came up this morning and I was excited to be coming back up here. So from that perspective, it hasn't um, it hasn't worn off. But, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world, but we got to we got to continue to work. and We got to continue to make sure that uh, that people have the opportunity to live the American dream, just like I have, just like you have. No, that's so true. And I'm glad you got that that energy and that chill that runs down your spine when you kind of walk on the floor of the house where you see the Capitol and you just think, wow, you know, what a, what an incredible opportunity, an incredible country, and what a rare opportunity to serve. Now, you've served in a lot of roles. I mean, I was I went back and read a little bit about you beforehand, but Planning Commission, right? House of yeah, Representatives yeah. there in Georgia, the State Senate there in Georgia, the United States Congress. I mean, you kind of you've seen the kind of it all. I my first my first role uh, in doing something political like that was on the Planning Commission for my little Highland City here in 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 Utah. It's so funny because I I went to this Planning Commission meeting because I was a new resident there, and there literally was nobody in the audience. So much so that the mayor said do you have business before the planning commission? I said, no, we just moved here. And I just thought I'd learn a little bit more about the city and where we're going and what we're doing. And he said, okay. And then he came down off the dais. We started chatting. And before we got to the end of the meeting, I was on the planning commission. 
sucker. <laughs> I learned more about curb and gutter and setback, and but all those things that actually make the world go around for a city. You know, you make a great point because I, I was a mayor. I was on city council. I was on the planning commission, as you say. I was on the city council for a brief period of time, and then I was mayor. And I can remember thinking to myself, you know, when I was in pharmacy school, I never realized I'd know as much about water and sewer and <laughs> and, and, and zoning yeah. and ordinance. How big a city? Which city and how big it was? Well, it? It, yeah, thanks for asking that, because I'm very proud of the fact that I, I was very fortunate. You know, I'd rather be lucky than good. But um, I, I just hit it at the right time. I was mayor of the city of Pooler, which is kind of a suburb of, of Savannah and in, in South Georgia on the coast. And I became mayor of the city of Pooler in 1996, Jason. Our our population was 4,500. And when I left in 2004, our population was 19,000. And now it's up around 30,000. Really? One of the fastest growing cities in Georgia. And it's just phenomenal. And I was just, uh, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. I mean, it was great. What's drawn that many people to to that city? Well, you know, location, location, location. You hear that all the time. And we were just we were located in a, in a good area uh, near the airport. Um, our schools were good. Um, we were attracting a lot of people. And and it, it was just, um, you know, some developmental highways that really took hold and just an area that was um, just in the right place, the right location. And, you, and people you were started. So, um, you were supposed to say there. Well, you, you were supposed to say, because we had the best mayor in the country. That's all. <laughs> I don't you know, know. <laughs> everybody picks up their roots from their family and just looks at who the mayor is and then decides, yeah, that's where I want to live. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But Tell you me know, little... I don't think you can get any closer to the people than being mayor. I mean, you know, I've yeah. served in Atlanta. I've served in Washington. And when you're in Atlanta, you're in Atlanta. When you're in Washington, you're in Washington. But when you're mayor, uh, and especially if you want a drugstore like I did, down the road from City Hall. I mean, they knew where to find you if they had a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's so true. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Buddy Carter right after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. 
Tell me a little bit more about growing up and what, what life is like. You tell us a little bit about your dad, but uh, tell us about some of those life experiences and things that you learned that were impactful. You know, I think we all, you know, I'm getting a little bit older, you're getting a little bit older, but you look back at those times and you think, oh my goodness, that time just went flying by. But there's those points of impact where certain people or certain incidents happen. What what were some of those life lessons that you learned early in life that you just think, wow, I hope everybody learns that sooner rather than later? Well, obviously, I grew up in a small town. Um, I actually grew up um, near Savannah, near near where I live now in Pooler and, the, and where I was mayor. But there was a city, it was Port Wentworth, and it was, um, as I say, right near that area in West Chatham County, as we call it. Small town, went to the same um, elementary school from K through seven. We went from the from kindergarten through the seventh grade at the same school. And, um, you know, then went to what we call back then junior high school and then the high school, um, you know, had the same nucleus of friends growing up. And they, you know, obviously uh, for us, the the whole world was in, in Port Wentworth. I mean, we didn't know any better. We, uh, you know, our most of our our families, um, you know, paper mills were real big back then, and that was the main employer. And, and so that was the industry that was there then. Um, sports was a big part of my life, as I know it was a big part of your life, too. But, um, you know, it just depended on the season. I mean, whether it was football, basketball or, or baseball, you know, it was um, it just depended on the season that uh, and, and sports had such a big impact in my life. And. And my dad had a big impact on my life. I, I lost my dad last July 25th of last year. Sorry about and, that. Um, yeah, yeah. He, but, um, you know, I was very blessed. I had him for 83 years. And and except for the last week of his life, um, he was um, mentally sharp as a tack, which is a blessing. Um, right. As we all know, I just met earlier today with uh, representatives from the Alzheimer's Association. And, and, you know, we are, we're working hard up here in Congress on, on that and trying to, to find a cure for that. And we need to, but I was very blessed and very blessed to, to have my dad for that long. But I remember I, I made a deal with my dad because I wanted to be, I wanted to be a football star. Unfortunately, not only was I short, but I was also slow. So it just didn't work out and I couldn't kick the ball like you could, but, um, <laughs> But, hey, uh, I was going to say I was a place kicker. They they touch me, <laughs> they throw a flag. You know, I always I that's what I always tell everybody. There's there's a spot for anybody on a football team. <laughs> well, I played tailback. Every time I ran on the field, the coach said, "Get your tail back here." You know, so um, <laughs> anyway, I I just you know I, t- I promised my dad at the end of my junior year in high school that if um, Oklahoma or Nebraska had not sent a scout out to see me, that I'd get serious about what I was going to do in my life. And I don't know what happened, but they didn't show up. Um, and, um, anyway, uh, after my junior year in high school, I decided, well, you know, I better get serious because this sports thing ain't going to work out. And, and I, I got a job and working in a drugstore delivery driver and, and just, um, and eventually, you know, sweeping the floors and finally ended up working in the pharmacy itself. And, and it was just as if God had put me in that place because it was perfect for me. Uh, I, I was able to work in healthcare and medicine that I wanted to. Um, obviously, very extroverted person, so I could interact with the with the public, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I, I went to um, 
back then we had junior colleges, um, two-year schools, and it was kind of a preparatory school, if you will. And I went to um, a Methodist school, Young Harris College, up in the North Georgia mountains in the first two years. Then I transferred to the University of Georgia College of Pharmacy, got my degree. When I left home at, at 18 to go to Young Harris, I, I, it just so happened I left the day I turned 18. It wasn't as if I was, I'm out of here. It just right, so right. happened that I left. But I swore up and down I'd never go back. I, I just swore up and down I would. Well, the first thing I did when I graduated was to go straight back home. And uh, my dad grew in wisdom over that last five years than, than anybody has ever grown in wisdom. But uh, but I went straight back home. I didn't want to go back to my to my city where I'd grown up. So I went to um, a, what we had considered to be kind of a, a joke of a town in Pooler. And, and And then as it turned out, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I lived in Pooler and, you know, I worked for someone else for about eight and a half years and then decided it was time to go in business for myself. When I opened my business, I knew I needed to get involved in the community. So I volunteered as you did or you were drafted, but I volunteered to work on the planning and zoning committee. And from the planning and zoning committee, I went to city council and then I went mayor and then I went to state rep and I went to state senate. And now I'm in Congress. So I've gone so through what- the chairs. So what'd you, what'd your dad say when you, when you got elected to Congress? You know, he was, um, he was proud obviously. And, and I was, I was very happy and, and proud that he was proud of me because um, I, I always worked hard to make him proud of me. And, and I know he was, but um, you know, there were times when he'd just shake my, shake his head saying, can't believe you're in Congress. <laughs> but it was, um, it was good. It was, you know, what a blessing, what a blessing. What was the first job you had? Like going back before you, before you had to get a job more to make a living and, you know, have some food to eat. What was, what was the first thing? Did you have chores around the house where dad said, Hey, you know, you got to mow the lawn, you got to do this, you got to do that. But then who's the first job you had working for somebody else? Well, you're right. I had chores around the house. My mother was an immaculate um, housekeeper, and she made my sister and I <laughs> clean house all the time. And, and my dad, of course, <laughs> had to mow the lawn, as you indicated. But my first paid job was as a landscape engineer. I cut grass. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, we, we had a uh, National Guard base, Travis Field um, National Guard, uh, near us. And and they needed people in the summertime to cut grass. And I got a job working there cutting grass and um, worked there for two summers, worked my way all the way up to a riding lawnmower after the second year. I was very proud of that. And then um, when I got to college, my my dad, who had worked in the paper mill, he um, and, and again, the smartest man I've ever met, he he had the the wisdom and to um, to know that um you know, I, I wasn't the most astute student and, and uh, I needed a little bit of encouragement. So he got me a job working in the paper mill on what they call a broke beater. And a broke beater in a paper mill is, is below the paper machine where they drop all the excess paper and all the, the paper that's been cut and everything. And then you put it back in and, and, and actually recycle it, if you will, and, and put it back into production. And listen, there is no place on earth hotter than a broke beaver. Um, it, it wasn't hell, but you could see hell from there. I can assure you. And and my dad knew that that's what I needed. And I'm telling you, and once I finished there one summer, I couldn't get back to school fast enough and I couldn't study hard enough because I did not want to go back to that broke beaver. And 
And again, I credit my dad with, with doing that for me, would put me in that position so that I understood how important school was and I needed to get back and get my degree. Yeah, it's like when I was in Arizona, my first uh, paid gig for somebody else, I was uh, working as a, in landscaping and uh, I was so excited. I've told this story many times, but I was so excited because the ad said that it was going to be done by noon. And but <laughs> So when I called to figure out what time the... You know, where do I meet him and when do we start and that sort of stuff? He told me he was going to pick me up at 3.45 in the morning. And I said, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I go to bed at 1.30, so that's going to be a tight <laughs> turn. But you start picking weeds and raking cactus and cleaning people's yards in the heat of an Arizona summer. And you learn real quick that, uh, at least I did, that I was a white collar guy and uh, <laughs> I needed to, to do the same. I needed a better skill set to get a better job. And, you know, it's those kind of young experiences, though, that I think you have to learn. And I think that's one of the things in society that's missing today is getting some of these young people good jobs Hard jobs, it doesn't really matter, I think, as much how much you get paid as much as it is getting out and having that experience and learning to work. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, right now the kids getting out, um, they, they want a laptop and, and they want to use their computer skills, which they are very adept at. But at the same time, you know, just some some pack breaking work, I think, would do a lot of good for a lot of them. Yeah. No, I, I look at these fast food restaurants. I, there was a Taco Bell here in Southern Utah and they're advertising $20 an hour to start. And I'm like, what the heck? I mean, I love the Taco Bell. So I want them to have as many employees as they need, but $20 an hour. I mean, anyway, I, the, the point is I hope that people learn how to work because I think it, it's those formative things what did you learn early on that, I mean, it wasn't just, hey, I need to go get a white collar job and make more money and have a better skill set. But there's some things that you learn <laughs> by playing sports and having a job, you know, early on in your life that I think does set you up for the rest of your life. What what for you, when, when I say that, what, to, what for you comes to mind and thinks, yeah, those are some things that I just learned early on. But I, I because I worry that there's a generation or a, a big portion of the generation that's missing those types of experiences. Well, I think you're exactly right. In fact, I'm reading a book now. It's called Hallowed Out. And, it's, um, and it talks about losing generations, just as you refer to. But if I look back on my experiences, I think that for me, the financial part of it, and, and you're right, um, it doesn't matter how much you're getting paid, but, but, you know, I remember telling my dad, you know, Danny, I can remember when we didn't have much money. And he would look at me and he said, yeah, I know you can remember those days. He said, but son, I can remember when the only money I had was the money I had in my pocket. And just just the financial responsibility that you learn and 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 having to save and and making sure that you know you paid your bills and and all those responsibilities some sometimes i think that that we i know i'm guilty of this i mean i give my kids too much and i you know you get to those helicopter moms and everything and we're probably all guilty of it to a certain extent but you know my, my parents didn't have a whole lot to give me i had to earn it myself. And that was very important. But but to your point about sports, you know, what a great, there's so many great life lessons there in sports. 
just this past weekend, um, and, and I was hoping I'd be able to get this in. As you know, Jason, the Georgia Bulldogs won the National Football Championship. Did they do that? I, I missed that. Did they? Oh, yeah, they did well, do we, that. They did. I, I, I had the opportunity this weekend to be part of a parade <laughs> for Stetson Bennett, um, who was the quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs, who, as, as I'm sure you know, was a walk-on at the University of Georgia. Didn't what a great story. He walked on. And here yeah. he goes from small town in, in Pierce County in Blackshear, Georgia, in the first district, by the way, that I have the honor and privilege of representing. But he is a walk-on, and he goes there, and, and it leads him to a national championship. But he was talking about all the lessons that, that he learned through football and about how, you know, people have different responsibilities. you got a different job, and you got to do your part, and how it's important for everyone to do their part. And, and the teamwork aspect of it. And that's so very and so vitally important in life, knowing that, um, you know, you've got a lane that you're supposed to be in and you need to stay in that lane and you need to get your part done and make sure that that gets done. And, yeah, we lift each other up and help each other. But at the same time, make sure that you get your part of it done as well. No, look, I, you know, I, I understand there are people rooting for both sides, but I think that Georgia's story and certainly the quarterback's story is, should be inspirational to a, to a lot of people. Overcoming adversity, uh, you know, being told no and meh, not everybody having the confidence in them and, and yet overcoming and just, so, you know, putting hard work and determination and creating his own opportunities and then leading him to the national championship. That was, it was a remarkable game. I enjoyed college football. They think this year as much as, as most any year, I think there was a lot of good things that were happening, but I think you're right. Those, you know, if I've, I've been fortunate to hire a lot of people along the way in different jobs and whatnot. And I find that the people who have involved and engaged in sports, whether it's an individual sport like tennis or, or a you know a team sport like basketball or football or whatever it might be or soccer it's just they learn a lot about winning about losing about teamwork about come you know you got to work hard and and you owe things to your team and I, I think there are a lot of life lessons there absolutely and, and just a, one last um, story about Stetson Bennett um, not only did he walk on at the University of Georgia as a freshman but he left. And went to a junior college, or hmm. and, and for a year, and then came back to the University of Georgia, so he could be the scout team quarterback, <laughs> and ended up being a, a national championship quarterback. I, that's just a phenomenal story. Uh, I think we're going to hear more and more about his story along the way. I hope we do because I, I do want it to be inspirational. And look, people have setbacks, people have heartaches, people don't realize how many times somebody who ultimately becomes a champion who's fallen down and, you know, smashed their face in the ground and got a little dirt in their teeth. And maybe it wasn't the most pleasant thing, but they keep, they persevere, they endure, they overcome, and they, they keep going. And those types of stories are just absolutely wonderful. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more right after this. So you've been in Congress now a number of years. What do people need to know about Congress? What are some of the best moments, but maybe some of the more frustrating things about the way it works in Washington? Well, quite often I, I'm asked the question um, from people, what's the most surprising thing that you've discovered since you've been a member of Congress? And right. quite honestly, the most surprising thing is also 
the most um, rewarding thing, if you will, and that is that there are a lot of good people up here. There are uh-huh. a lot of good I people, totally as you know, Jason, who are up yeah. here for the right reason to move our country forward. And they want to do and give back to their country and they want to do the right thing. I think that, you know, what, um, you know, it's the, I tell people all the time, I went from being a pharmacist, the second most respected profession in America to being a member of Congress, the second least respected (laughs) profession in America. And, but truthfully, there are a lot of good people up here who are up here for the right reasons and, and are trying to do the right thing. Now, granted, you got some bad apples. There's no question about that, as you do in every in every profession and in and, and all over the world. But um, but for the most part, there are are good people up here. Yeah, we get frustrated. It's especially frustrating now. Um, I know since you left, Jason, you've noticed how how even more partisan it has become. And it really has become more and more partisan. And that's really a shame. However, I don't think that we get enough credit for the bipartisan things that we do. And we do do we we do achieve quite a bit of bipartisanship. And especially I serve on the Energy and Commerce Committee, as you know, and 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 we get a lot of um, bipartisan bills passed in that committee. So I'm very proud of that. But, um, you know, I think the one thing that people don't realize is that, you know, with very few exceptions, we're not we're not um, professional politicians. I mean, I'm a pharmacist. Um, right. You know, you got preachers, you got um, you've got almond growers, you've got um, uh, just every profession you can think about um, is it, kind of represented there. You'd be surprised as a citizen legislature. We got way too many lawyers, but at the same time, right, we've right, got. Right. Um, we we do. We have um, one thing that that I try to do, and I know you you did the same thing when you were a member, is that we're not experts on everything. So we rely on each other. I mean, I have people come up to me all the time and say, I didn't know you were a pharmacist. I had someone in my office the other day said you were a pharmacist and that I needed to talk to you about uh, about this issue or about a letter I need to get on. And and I do the same thing. Um, I, I go, you know, if there's an issue with um, with new car sales, I go to the new car salesman and, and I tell and I say, come on, tell me about this issue. Um, what, what's what's this really about here? Explain it to me. So we lean on each other in that respect. And that's that's good. And, and you should do that. But at the same time, I, sometimes I think people forget we're real people. We got real lives and and you know real families and real challenges, just like everybody else does. Yeah, it's uh, it really is an interesting collection of people all across the country because you do walk on the floor and you think, yeah, they're not they're not all the same. You think, oh, how'd this person get there? How'd they get there? You know that kind <laughs> of thing. And uh, but at the same time, it is a cross section of America, and it is supposed to, and they do come from working families. And I, you know, I hope they don't continue on in perpetuity forever. I think it's, it's important to bob and weave and, and take on different roles and responsibilities. And you've done that throughout your, your service. And, and, uh, but you're right. You, I remember we were talking about, you know, PBMs and we were trying to, you know, trying to figure out what in the world that was, but we had somebody there in you that had all this experience with it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's where we rely on each other. And, and I think it benefits all of us. And certainly when I first came into Congress, I bet you that 99% of the members of Congress didn't have an idea what PBM stood for. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I can remember, you know, 
as the first pharmacist coming in, um, your friend and my friend, um, Phil Rowe from Tennessee, who is retired now, but um, he was chair of the doctor's caucus. And and I kind of had to elbow my way into the doctor's caucus to begin with because they had never had a pharmacist before. Oh, we, you know, we only have doctors. Well, I elbow my way in and I'm in like Flint now. I mean, I'm right, I, right. I'm in, I'm intricately involved in it and intricately involved in it and um and enjoying it and have a, a big role and, and a lot of input and we do a lot of good work there. So and I thank Phil for for helping me to to get in because you know I, I told Phil when I first started, I said, Phil, I'm not sure they're going to want me in here. He, he just looked at me, and, and you'll appreciate this knowing Phil. He just looked at me. He said, are you kidding? We need you. We need you in there. I said, all right. This is great. He was a good man. He was uh, he, he was just uh, salt of the earth, you know, like, again. Exactly. From Tennessee. Good way and, to put it. Yeah, he, he, Tennessee, and just, you know, uh, I mean, just as – just wonderful, wonderful people. And I think that's the thing I like the most about it is just getting to know so many people that I would have never other otherwise, you know, gotten to know. But if you could, uh, if you could may wave the Buddy Carter magic wand, what's a, what's a one or two things that you would change in Congress if you could? Well, I think for all of us, we would change probably the, 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 partisanship that that has evolved over the years and you know it's kind of like you you wonder who's going to be who's going to take the first step who's going to make the first move to end this and and to get us back and, and I don't I don't mean to beat up on Congress too much people tell me all the time oh it's as bad as it's ever been I'm not sure about that <laughs> I mean I can remember the late 60s and you know, it was pretty bad back then. Give me a break. And, um, you know, not necessarily the partisanship, but the the politics and right. Vietnam and everything that was going on back then. But, um, you know, I wish I, I wish we could work together more. You know, I, I'm concerned to a certain extent now that we are becoming uh, um, becoming uh, a unit that, you know, with all due respect to, to those who, you know, have achieved outstanding achievements before they became members of Congress, I don't want it to become a, a celebrity Congress, you know, where, right. you know, I mean, like we just talked about Phil Rowe, you need salt of the earth people. And, and he was one of those. And, and it's getting, it's getting tougher and tougher to, you know, unless you've got name recognition already, and if you do, then that just gives you a leg up. And you know, the media plays such a big part of that, and so it, that concerns me some about the celebrity Congress, if you will. Because not that you know these guys don't do a, or, or gals don't do a good job. It's just um, you know you're just concerned about it. Yeah, no, it's, hey, it takes a lot of money and, you know, con congressional districts, about 800,000 people. And, and, um, you know, it, it does become difficult in the way social media and whatnot works. And I, I, I think we do need to be paying attention to that and making sure that we got the right people in there who's got the right heart and the right connection to their district. And, uh, I, I, I think that would make, uh, the world a difference. And look, the other thing is, I, I think you need to, to vote more often. I, you know, this idea that Nancy Pelosi says that she will never bring a vote to the floor unless she already knows the outcome. 
I don't know that that's good for the body. I don't think that's necessarily the way it should should work. But there are lots of things we can do to try to probably fix it. But I got to tell you, having seen you up close and personal firsthand, uh, I'm just glad there are good people like you, uh, buddy, who are willing to take it on, be away from their family. I think that's the hardest part for me is just the travel and being away. I was kind of jealous of guys like you that could fly there from the East coast, right up the coast and not have yeah. to change a time zone, you know? Um, but good people who pour their heart and soul into it, give it an honest read and do what's right for the country. And we need more good people like it doing that quite frankly. And I think the world will be a better place. Well, thank you. I appreciate those kind of remarks. But, and you're right. It's such an honor and a privilege. I mean, to, to serve, especially for me, representing an area that I've lived in all my life, that I grew up in and that I, I've lived in all my life and I intend to live the rest of my life in. And, and that's why I'm determined that I'm going to do a good job. I, I'm determined that I'm going to work hard and, and that I'm going to represent the people well. May not always vote the way that they like, may not always um, you know, emphasize the things that they want me to emphasize. But at the same time, I'm going to always have my district um, at the top and, and there I'm going to always represent them the best I can. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I bumped into somebody sometime and, and they were being, I, I, he was being a little critical of me and I said, you know, I appreciate it. I think you're saying that honestly and from a sincere heart and I don't mind you sharing some criticism. I said, but you know, my eight and a half years in Congress, I cast thousands and thousands of votes. So which one did you not like? And then he couldn't name one. And I just started laughing. I just thought to myself, all right, well, you can, you're entitled to your opinion, but yeah, inevitably, I mean, come on, you give somebody a, a couple thousand votes along the way, of course, you're going to get a couple of them that are maybe different than somebody else's scorecard. But, but I don't, I, at the end we shook hands and it was really good discussion with him. And and I think he understood that I was working hard and trying to do the right thing and, and that I was willing to listen. And, and I see that in, in what you've done. And I was glad to serve with you on the Oversight Committee and in Congress. But uh, before I let you go, though, you got to answer the rapid questions. And, you know, quite honestly, <laughs> all right, I don't, I don't care how many prescriptions you have filled, how many pills you've counted in your life. You're not prepared to answer this question, these questions. But <laughs> we're going we're gonna to give it a go. All right. All right. First concert you attended? First concert I attended. Um, first concert I attended was a Billy Joel concert. And I have seen Billy Joel in concert uh, a total of 10 times. And in fact, I named my firstborn Joel. So obviously oh, wow. I'm a big Billy Joel You're fan. all in. That's good. That's good. All right. That was definitive. What was your high school mascot? Um, we were gross high rebels, but we weren't uh, Southern rebels. We were Scottish rebels. Uh, I remember oh. they made us take down a statue of a, of a, um, civil war rebel. And they said, that's not what you are. You're Scottish rebels. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, favorite vegetable. Favorite best. You know, that has changed, but my favorite vegetable now is broccoli. I love, is broccoli a vegetable? I hope yes. it is. Anyway, yeah. yeah Everybody broccoli. struggles with this question. It's remarkable to me. But you did name a vegetable that was a vegetable. That doesn't always happen on the <laughs> Jason and House podcast. So congratulations. Um, did you have pets growing up? I did. I had a dog named Elmo. <laughs> a dog and, uh, named Elmo. And I tell my grandchildren Elmo stories now. 
Yeah, at bedtime. I, I have six grandchildren. I'm blessed. Well, well when um, you were a little kid, Elmo wasn't really a Sesame Street character, was he? <laughs> no, 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 no. This was long before Sesame Street. Yeah, but, um, exactly. I just I want the audience Elmo, to be clear. The, the talking dog. I tell <laughs> and tell them about Elmo's adventures. Yeah, uh, all right. Bedtime stories. Uh, what kind of dog was it? He was a sooner. He'd just soon do it inside and outside. Oh, okay. <laughs> He was, he was generic. <laughs> a generic dog. <laughs> I remember once seeing this movie and the character. I mean, it's a funny movie. I can't even remember what it was. Somebody will send me an email or post it up somewhere. But the, the character in the movie goes into, he's, he's kind of down and out guy. He was like a, you know, a detective or something. And he goes to the refrigerator and all it says is food. <laughs> just like, so he grabs one and just opens it up like it's a can of just food. I just, I don't know. That's always stuck with me. I always thought that was just funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, unique talent nobody knows about from Buddy Carter. <laughs> I don't know whether it's a talent. I'm not even sure you know, Jason. I do 500 push-ups every morning. Do you really? I do. I do. Um, now, you know, we used to I, serve. I've reached the age. Where I'm scared not to do them because I'm scared if I if I stop I'll never start back again. Do you but, do um, 500 in a row or do you do like 50? Take no, 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 no. I, I space them out. It takes me about 45 minutes, but um, but I do. Wow, do and I do them correctly too. That's impressive. I now I remember we served with a guy named Mike Kaufman. who was a congressman out of the Denver <laughs> area. And Mike liked to do push-ups, but it didn't matter where you were in the world. He would stop when it was time and do his push-ups. I remember once being on the tarmac. I think it was in Dubai. We were changing planes, and it was a military flight. And so we were literally on the tarmac, and he's over there doing push-ups. I've seen him in the cloakroom doing push-ups. I'm glad to not see you <laughs> on the floor of the house doing push-ups, but 500 a day, that's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. I do mine in the gym, though. <laughs> well, I hope to do 500 this year, but since I haven't done any yet, I'm a little behind now that it's February. So I got to get going. All right, that's that's impressive. I, I that is a unique talent. <laughs> All right, so that leads us to another question: pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? Uh, no. Yeah, good answer. Judges like that answer. All right, uh, best advice you ever got best advice i ever got um i think it's when i became mayor and they told me don't forget to duck <laughs> so if they start throwing things don't forget to duck and how long were you the mayor i'm sorry eight years eight years yeah uh, what a, that would be a that, what a great job that that's, that's yeah good. it yeah. was it was the best job i ever had it was so good and uh last question uh favorite menu item at taco bell um, <laughs> um beef burrito yeah, nobody's gonna complain with a good old beef burrito i happen yeah. to like the chalupa but yeah they don't <laughs> always have it but yeah nothing like a good bean burrito with sour cream no onions but uh but with the, but a beef burrito also sounds good all right buddy carter congressman georgia's first congressional district um I, really an honor and a privilege to serve with you in the congress but i really do appreciate you uh joining us on the jason in the house podcast thank you jason always good to talk to you my friend all right thank you 
Can't thank the congressman, Buddy Carter, Georgia's first congressional district, enough for uh, sharing those thoughts and uh, having a little fun with us here on the Jason in the House podcast. Really do appreciate it. I need all of you to, to check those uh, stars. We need some ratings out there. That would be great. Subscribe to it uh, or go over to foxnewspodcast.com. Check out some of the other podcasts uh, along the way. We hope you're able to join us next week when we have another dynamic guest uh, joining us. But uh, until then, enjoy the week and thanks for joining us on the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 